Meetings, meetings, meetings. It's what we do in leadership in the church, right? We go to meetings. Some are great, some, well, not so great. But meetings are such a part of our uh, leadership experience in the church that we felt it important as leading saints to put together the Meetings with Saints virtual summit. And if those of you that have attended other virtual summits, you know how these work. We've gathered about 20 experts or individuals who have a unique perspective about how to effectively run a meeting. And we've interviewed them and we've uh, made that content all part of this virtual summit, which you can watch anywhere in the world. It's free to attend. It starts March 17th and you just got to register. And we're going to cover things like how to make a meeting a revelatory experience, how to create and use an effective meeting agenda, how to hold an effective ministering interview, how to engage all participants in a meeting, even introverts like myself, how to use software applications to streamline your meeting discussions and to really shorten those meetings to a realistic length. And we're going to cover as many types of meetings, even sacrament meetings, there's going to be covered in this virtual summit. So the Meetings with Saints virtual summit starts May 10th. You don't want to miss this phenomenal content. Just text the word LEAD to 474747 to find more information. Or you can go to leadingsaints.org slash meetings. Again, text the word LEAD to 474747 and register for the Meetings with Saints virtual summit. Welcome back to the Leading Saints podcast. My name is Kurt Frankham, and I will be your host. If you're new to Leading Saints, we welcome you. That was my applause of welcoming you in here. So uh, this is a great place to be. I'm glad you found us. What we are is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that in a variety of, of ways. And one of the big ones is the podcast. We I think we're almost at 3 million downloads. We're at 2.5 million but we're quickly approaching 3 million downloads and uh, people from across the world tune in to to listen. And it is so awesome that you're out there. They're listening. And I hope you you benefit from this content. Now, one thing you should know is we have this segment on the Leading Saints podcast called How I Lead, where we talk with everyday leaders from around the world, typically focused on a specific calling. We ask them, how do you do it? How do you go about your your week-to-week schedule? How do you organize yourself? How do you do these things? How is it that you lead? And we focus on specific, a specific calling, like I said. And this episode, we're going to focus on the primary president calling. And uh, this is, uh, we're trying different things with Leading Saints because there's been so much attention and popularity around this podcast, which is awesome. I can't thank you enough for sharing it, for getting the word out there. And to think that, I think last month we had hundred and like 80,000 downloads. Like I can't even fathom that my mother could download this podcast that many times. And I can't even fathom that people are maybe actually listening to this podcast, right? So uh, with that becomes the burden of trying to figure out what content to put out there. We want to make it top-notch content. And there's so many interesting people, experts, authors, just even everyday leaders who are out there to, to interview. And so we're trying to cram as much content as possible into this podcast feed. Now, please understand, you should never feel bad if you feel like, man, I don't think I can get to that episode. Or this episode is about, you know, primary presidents, and I'm not even in the primary. I, I've never served in the primary. or And so you can skip it, right? Don't feel bad about skipping it. Just know that we're going to fill your, your podcast feed with great content. And then we're going to leave it up to you to pick and choose which content you're going to listen to. So like I said, this How I Lead episode is focused on the calling of primary president. And I've talked to two fantastic women who have great experience in unique ways of serving as a primary president. And I think you're going to love it. 
So here's my interview with Lindsay Clyde and Marcy Bayless. Today, I am going back east all the way to Boston to talk with Lindsay Clyde. How are you, Lindsay? Kurt, I'm doing really well. Thanks for asking. Awesome. Well, now we uh, we go way back, back to the so Lee Ward. Back. Yeah. We, uh, you, when I was bishop, you moved into a ward, and the first thing you said is, "Holy cow! Why is that deacon a bishop? What, what's going on here?" <laughs> you do have um, a young face, that's for sure. <laughs> right. Well, I especially did back then. My hairline was much lower, that's for sure. So, <laughs> so we we uh, connected in the in the old Lee ward, and uh, since then you've moved on to uh, bigger and better things. Where where are you at now? And give us some of your background. So we we moved from Utah with you, Kurt, out to Buffalo, New York, and that lasted about six months until somebody contacted my husband and said, hey, do you want to move to Boston for a job? And we're like, yes, please get us out of Buffalo. <laughs> Sorry to no. all my Buffalo fans out there. Oh, yeah. I mean, we have a huge audience in Buffalo, I'm, I'm sure. sure. So, so what was it about Buffalo that didn't jive? Oh, it's just we moved at the worst time. We got there at the end of summer and it's so humid and awful. And then it just plunges straight into winter. And it was the winter of 2014, 2015. And the audience members who are in the East will remember that as like the snowpocalypse is what they called it. Mm. It was just so much snow and we were not prepared for that. And so, yeah, we were we were happy to get out of there. Buffalo is pretty sleepy town and I, I like the excitement of Boston much better. So Nice. So in Boston, well, and let me back up even more. Maybe just give us uh, your, your general background as far as uh, where you're from and born and raised in the church, that type of thing. Yeah, sure. I was born and raised in the church. I grew up in Arizona, Mesa, Arizona, which is kind of like a mini Utah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and I loved it. I had a lot of great friends who were Latter-day Saints and also not Latter-day Saints. And so I, I liked that perspective of having friends who knew my standards and also friends who respected our standards and kind of like came along with us. I graduated high school, went to a year of Arizona State University and also said, okay, see you, bye. I'm out of here and went to BYU, Brigham Young University for the rest of my, my college career and then met my husband and we, we've, we've done our whole, whole last eight years together and that's been fantastic. I have three kids, six-year-old Kate, four-and-a-half-year-old Lucy and two-year-old Owen and I'm kind of a weirdo out here, out east. Everyone's like, you you look too young to have three kids. And I always say, you know what? You don't actually have to be that old to have children. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> they, they only take nine months to make. You know, <laughs> right. So. And so, yeah, we've really loved it out here, though. We think That's the awesome. East offers a lot in terms of culture and opportunity. We've been blessed. Cool. So uh, going when you moved to Boston, you uh, uh, were thrust into some uh, leadership opportunities, maybe uh, sooner than you expected. Uh, where did that story all begin? Yeah. So I was 23 years old when we moved into this ward and it was like April. I went into the Young Women's. I was just like an advisor. And then that November, they called me to be primary president. And I had just had my second baby at that point. But I'm just kind of one of those people with like mountains of self-confidence. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes. like maybe too much and everything that comes my way. I'm just like, yeah, I can do this. And even though I had never had any, I mean, I was like a, what's it, a counselor in a YSA wards relief society or something. And, and I was just like, yeah, totally. I'm all, I'm all in like, I'll let me do this. And I mean, my age didn't really, it didn't really bother me. I never, I mm -hmm. never really take my age into consideration, but it was really quickly after that, that the realities of what I was supposed to be doing actually 
hit. And so if you'll let me give a little bit of background on our war, yeah. that might that might make it a little bit more that might give us a little bit more information. So this ward that I'm in now and was when we moved in is it should be called the student ward. It's like primarily students out here going to school. I'd say like 70% of our ward is in some type of like master's or PhD program. Hmm. And At like uh, Harvard or where? where yeah. They, so yeah, like wow. it's mostly Harvard business school. So out of those 70% of the ward who are students, probably like 50% are families who are going to Harvard business school or HBS as we give it, you know, that lovely acronym. And everyone's like, what's HBS? And we're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, Harvard Business School. And so it's a very transient ward. I mean, every year is like fall, huge influx of new students. They leave for like six weeks in the wintertime. They come back and then they're there for a couple of weeks until they go to spring break and do some kind of internship abroad. Then they come back and then it's summertime and they do another internship and then fall comes around, a new wave of them come in. They all do it and it's a two-year program and it's just constant constant overturn. And I love my HBSer friends. I love them. We've met so many awesome people that we will be friends with for life who have come through in this program. But man, it makes for a difficult primary experience. Wow. That's because um, you just have a, a chunk of kids coming in and then moving out and, and you're just trying to keep up with it. Yeah. Especially with teachers, I would imagine too. You're replacing, yes. managing the, the teaching spots. Yeah. Both of those things. It's just and it always seems to be that we have more kids than we have adults. I don't know how that happens. Like, even though all the parents took their kids away for whatever internship, it still seems like there's way more kids than we have available, adults available to teach them. And so not only that, but our wards youth program and primary are combined with the Spanish branch that meets in our building as well. Oh, wow. And at the time that I was called, the Mandarin group was turning into a Mandarin branch. They had finally gotten enough members so that they were now a branch and they wanted to jump in in our primary too. And mm -hmm. so I was suddenly tasked with trying to structure a primary that had three different units and try and call counselors and just figure out how are we even going to do this, you yeah. know? So how was that all structured then? I mean, how do they combine it when, you know, sacrament meetings are at different times and how did that work? Right. So our building is at the stake center that they built in downtown Cambridge, Massachusetts. And there's a main chapel and then there's another smaller chapel upstairs, which is where the Spanish branch would meet at the same time as our ward. And then the Mandarin branch would do a flipped schedule where they came for Sunday school first, Relief Society and Elders Quorum back in the day when we had three right. hours and then back sacrament in the back in the like six months ago. <laughs> I don't know how long ago. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And so they would have a flip schedule so that all of our primaries and Sunday school would overlap. So when you were called as the primary president, you were primary president over all of those units then? Yeah. Yep. And that was really difficult. And you had, I would imagine you try and, you know, maybe call counselors or obviously teachers from different units, but you maybe aren't as familiar with those units. Yeah, all of this, all of these things were, were an issue. And I think the best thing that happened, the the very first thing, the biggest blessing that Heavenly Father gave me at the beginning was this amazing alignment of counselors. And what I did, there were six of us. I called two counselors from my ward, a counselor from the Spanish branch, a counselor from the Mandarin branch, and then a secretary from my ward as well. Wow. And the, for like the first and only time in my entire career as a primary president, I actually got all of the people I asked for. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and, 
And that was a miracle. And it was amazing. And it was one of those like sacrament meeting talk experiences where they're like, I prayed and then this name on the list jumped out at me. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I knew that was a person. That's actually what happened for me and started me off on this great optimistic note where like, revelation is coming. Like, I'm going to get everything I want so that I can take care of this (laughs) primary. And it was until you didn't. (laughs) Right. And it was really what I needed because if I hadn't, I think I probably would have bad things would have happened. (laughs) Yeah. So... So talk to me about as far as like creating unity in that. I mean, how do you get it to all gel together and move forward so that it's not just a circus every week? Yeah, I think that was one of my main priorities was to first just build unity within my presidency. I didn't even know. I didn't even know. Let's see, four out of the uh, let's see, four out of the five girls that I called. I didn't really even have ever. Uh I had never even spoken to them really before. And so the first thing was like, let's sit down in a presidency meeting. And I said, okay, tell me your highs and lows. And that was really important. This like communication between us, like what's going well in your life? And like, what can we pray for, for you? And I just kind of let out, you know, I started out by saying, hey, this is what's good for me. And this is what I'm having a hard time with. Like, does anybody have any you know, ideas for me. And I think me being able to be open that way was what they needed to also be open and feel comfortable sharing ideas later on and also telling me when I need to be like put in my place, which happens, (laughs) which happens sometimes. And so I thought that like our primary presidency meetings might not have always been like the most productive things. And I think I probably took too much administrative stuff upon myself and didn't delegate it well. But I guess I could pat myself on the back for being able to get people to open up, you know, and, yeah. be, and be real. Cause I think I just value that so much. Yeah. Cause I mean, then you get to the real person and, and then it's easier to connect, right? Cause you, right. you're not just there to get a job done. You're actually becoming friends and, and uh, enjoying the experience. Yeah. And I feel like I li- I'm listening to all your podcasts and I feel like this is totally a reoccurring theme that we need, we need this vulnerability if we're going to make real changes and touch people's lives. And I I, lo- I really appreciate that about your podcast. I'm really loving that. Awesome. So uh, I think you mentioned uh, in your notes here that like you have parents that speak different language than you, right? Like non-English speaking parents is uh, with the Spanish branch, right? Or the Spanish ward as part of that. Is that, how'd you handle that dynamic? Yeah. So Spanish branch and Mandarin branch, mm. English as a second language or English as not a language that they speak. Yeah. <laughs> Is there an acronym for that? Yeah. I have an experience. I have two experiences where I'd like I'd like to share a story if you don't mind. Yeah, I'd love to hear. Um, love stories. So one is where I did really well and I'm like so happy with how I handled it. And the other one is where I did not do so well. So let's go with this highs and lows type of theme. Okay. Um, so the first one was when I came, became a primary, the primary president, there was a boy in our primary who had learning issues and attention span issues. He's probably somewhere on the spectrum. And I'm not very well versed at speaking around these issues. So if I say something offensive, please, everyone just forgive me. I I love this little boy. And one of the teachers actually had a special ed degree. So she had some tips and pointers for how to to try and get him to be more engaged. And then she moved away. (laughs) And I was like, no, no. I took what she had taught me and tried to implement it the best I could. But a lot of Sundays, it was just me sitting in the back of the primary on the ground in my high heels and skirt, like 
pushing cars around with little buddy, you know, like zooming him across the floor and running out after him after he booked it out of the door. You know, he like ran out of the primary, was making laps around the church and me in my high heels and my skirt, just sweating and being like, please come back and trying to enlist people in the hallways, like grab him, please someone stop him. He was so (laughs) strong, so, so strong. And it was just like weeks of that. And also just trying to interact with him on his own level and, you know, all these things where you're just trying so hard to to reach him. And it was, I didn't see much progress the whole time. I was primary president for two years and I did not see much progress with his behavior. Like what I would have expected is like, okay, by now he should be sitting in a seat and actually like participating yeah. in sharing time. And he, and he wasn't. And those were just my own goals I had imposed on him. But uh, I just told his mom, like, just keep bringing him back. Just keep bringing him back. And I was trying to translate through this through my counselor who was standing right there and saying these things. Like, sister, please just bring him back and don't stay. You can go. You go enjoy your classes. Leave him with us. We will be here to take care of him. And mm-hmm. it took a while for her to be okay with, like, not coming in and sitting with him. But as I communicated that with her, like, please, please let us try she led us. She she led us. And even though we didn't see much progress over the two years, about six months ago, I was just walking the hallway and suddenly I see this little boy holding the hand of his young brother and he, and he, the boy is wearing a suit and his hair is combed. He's walking so reverently down the hallway and I notice it's my little buddy. And I just said, hey, how are you? And he says, I'm I'm great. Thanks. And I was like, what? <laughs> and this is probably like three years after my first initial interaction with him. And I went downstairs and I noticed that the cultural hall was decorated for his, his baptism. Wow. And I it just kind of hit me that it could have gone such a different way. It could have totally gone south if I had been like, okay, I can't handle him. He's too crazy. Like I've got a ton of other things I need to do as a president. Um blah, blah, blah. Here's all my sad reasons why I can't be with this kid. Um, Like, how would this have turned out? Like, would his mom have stuck around? Would she have felt supported? And I'm not saying that this was my own doing. He had primary teachers and my counselors. We all just worked together as a team to try and and make an environment where he could could exist. I mean, whether he thrived or not, but something happened after I left and, and he was he was calm and he was attentive and he was ready to get baptized. And that was just such a testament to me about just working with the parents and letting them know and communicating that love that you have for their kids to let them feel, feel safe and like they can leave, leave their, you know, child with you to to grow and learn. And and I just love that attitude of, uh, you know, just keep bringing him back. I don't know if this is working and it is a lot of work, but just keep bringing him back. Like just being in that attitude um, can do more, more good than you may realize, right? Right. And, and so this kind of brings me to my other story where I did not do so well. We had another, okay. another girl from an, a, the, another branch who had parents who didn't really speak English that well, or a mother who didn't speak English that well. And it was time for her to leave nursery. It's time for her to move up to Sunbeams with everybody else her age. And she was not only in this age group, but she was, her birthday was in January. So, you know, when you have a January birthday, you're like a year older than all your nursery comrades, mm-hmm. right? You're very, you're very bigger. <laughs> you're much bigger. You normally are more mature than them, but she just had some attention issues as well. And um, her mother just said, 
I don't want her to go to Sunbeams. I want her to stay in nursery. And in my mind, I was like, no, 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 no. Red light. Uh, 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 These are the rules, right? We're going back to that podcast. I'm the rule follower. Like we must (laughs) obey the rules. There's no getting around this. Mm -hmm. Um, Your daughter needs to go to Sunbeams. And not only that, but my nursery leaders were also like, please get her out of nursery. Like she's so much bigger than all the other kids and she pushes them around and she, she runs away too. And it's hard for us to do our calling for the kids who are actually supposed to be in here. And so Mm -hmm. I was kind of caught between these things of like, well, the mother wants this and we want that. And so I just kept pushing the mom, like, please just take her to Sunbeams. Please take her to Sunbeams. She finally takes her to Sunbeams and her daughter runs away and gets lost in our church building. And we have Mm -hmm. like two sets of elevators, four sets of stairs in our building down, that lead down to the outside, downtown Cambridge, and a parking garage. Like, it's a scary thing when your kid gets lost in our building. And the teachers were just frantically running around. And I didn't realize until like 20 minutes after she had been gone that that she was gone. So anyway, mom wow. finds out and she's obviously rightly upset. And so what does she do? She takes her back to nursery. <laughs> and I'm just so frustrated about this. and. I just found her one day in the bathroom and I cornered her mom because she was avoiding me because she didn't want to talk about making her daughter go to Sunbeams. And I was just like, please, we need her to come to Sunbeams or to Sunbeams in primary. This is the where she belongs. This is what she needs. And her mom was like, no, I don't think so. You know, in her broken English, I don't think so. I don't think this is right. I know what my daughter needs. And I said, well, what if we make a plan for, you know, phasing her out over six months or something? Anyway, I felt horrible after that situation. Like I left with this pit in my stomach like that. I did not follow the spirit in that conversation. Like this was mm. not good. And then weeks go by and she's gone. Mom and daughter are gone. We don't see them, don't hear from them. And I finally just ask branch president like, what's up? And he takes a while to get back for, to me and tells my bishop, then calls me in and says, mom and daughter went to a different ward. They left the branch and it's not your fault. (laughs) It's not your fault. There's other family things that are going on. It's not your fault. And however much truth there is to it's not your fault. Like I knew that I had not done what I should have to try and express love and, and work with this family. Um, and that, that stinks, you know, that hurts. Um, because now I'm never going to see her again. I love that little girl. She was so difficult. But, you know, I think you t- come to love the more difficult ones in a yeah. way you don't with the others. Um, and so that was that was an experience that that was my low. That was one of my lows in communicating with the parents because I did not do a good job. And I don't know if I I could have spoken her language better or something or just passed that job off to somebody else. But yeah. Well, I think it's one of those things that in hindsight, you look back and there's such a strong lesson there, which I think is so great that you're sharing it here is uh, just to sort of give yourself permission to let go of of your structure, right? And, and a lot of us get in these leadership roles and it's sort of like, no, I, I'm, I'm steering the ship here. And I realize that you're the parent, but we're all, you know, this is what's going to work best for everybody. And this is what we need to do. But to just maybe step back and say, you know, I'm going to let her make the final call as the parent and see where it goes, you know? Yeah. And try and support her in that. I mean, I had thought like, well, maybe we should just call one person to be this little girl's helper. You know, she just, wherever that girl goes, this helper goes as a calling. And in our ward, bless the bishop. Scott, I know you're listening to this podcast. He listens to your podcast. <laughs> hey, Scott. <laughs> 
Bless bless the bishops of our ward because making callings in our ward is just it's a nightmare. Her it's a literal <laughs> nightmare. And it takes it takes months to be able to find somebody who's not already taken for another calling or somebody who's not going to be gone for six weeks or gone for the whole summer, especially in primary when kids need consistency. But so I, I just felt like how can I support her in her in her in her desires for her daughter? And I my only option was one I just thought wasn't wasn't applicable, but I definitely could have tried harder to find a way to support, to support this mom. So speaking of, um, as far as like working with the, you know, bishops, the bishoprics and such, especially in these wards where, like you said, that uh, it sounds like, you know, if a lot of these are, are a lot of these members are students that there is, uh, it's hard to reach that stability, right? Or, you know, they're, they're trying to get through this phase of, of life where they're in school and, and there's a lot of demands. And then, oh yeah, you also have to do this church thing. Right, right. right. So you, you mentioned your your notes here as far as like standing up for the inspiration that you received in your calling. And this is always a dynamic that I like to always bring to the surface because it's a touchy one that especially it seems like always, it's always between the bishopric and the primary presidency. There's always this <laughs> unspoken friction of like, okay, like who's running the show? Are you going to let us run the show as the primary presidency? Or are you just going to trample over us and dictate what callings <laughs> are going to come? And, and uh, then and we're just supposed to hang on for the ride, right? So t- tell me about that. Like, how did you stand up for your inspiration in, in your calling? I'm just like laughing so hard. I, this is exactly what it is. And I didn't know if it was just my personality because <laughs> I'm so straightforward and demanding. I didn't know if it was just me or if it's just something that happens between every every bishopric and primary. And and my bishopric, they they've been awesome. Like they've they were working so hard to try and fill every need that we had. And we had a lot of needs. But standing up for for my inspiration and for the kids really it just came down to and I, I mean let's see. It was was it Barbara? Was Barbara Morgan? Gardner. Is that her full name? Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Good friend Barbara. I've been listening to her. I just finished Women in the Priesthood book that she wrote. Um, That's great. And she mentions in there, she talks about this. She's like, well, I received revelation. And then the bishop's just like, no, no, sorry, no, sorry, no. And they kind of just keep us in the dark because they feel like, oh, it needs to be a secret or maybe they just don't even have time to sit and tap out a response. <laughs> you know, everything is so, I thought it was hard being a primary president of this ward. I can't imagine what it'd be like to be a bishop of a ward like this. And so it can be frustrating. And I I really had to bite my tongue sometimes because I just wanted to lash out. <laughs> be like, well, what in the heck do you want me to do? I'm, I'm praying. I, I'm, kneel, I'm kneeling down every night and I'm just like scrolling through the ward list and the branch list and nobody's coming. And then I finally latch on to somebody and whoop, you know, they're in relief society now. And I'm like, well, great. We can wait another two months to have somebody called. And then we're going to have to reorganize the primary again anyway. So there's a lot of frustration there. But what I just did was I just kept pushing. And sometimes they did say, okay, tell me, tell me about why you, you want this person. And so, so tell me what, what did that pushing look like? Uh, was it a conversation? Emails. Did you bring it up again, again, or, or what, <laughs> tell me what that pushing looked like. Yeah, it was, it was like every, every chance I got, every time I thought of it, shoot off an email. Every time I pass them in the hallway, just like unwearingly bothering them <laughs> 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 to get me what I needed or what I wanted. And a lot of times what I thought we needed wasn't, and it, you know, we we may do. We went without a teacher with that for that sunbeams class for however many weeks and weeks. 
and it's okay. Like I'm at the other side of it now and everyone's fine. Like nothing exploded or blew up, you know? And so I think it was really this interesting balance between pushing forward and really advocating for what you need and what you want and continuing to bring things up. Like we, this hasn't been resolved yet. This hasn't been resolved. What can I do to help this be resolved? And then also stepping back and saying, all right, it's not resolved this week, but there's still kids waiting to be taught this class. And this is back in when you had to babysit the kids for two hours. And so <laughs> it's not an easy job. It's not like you can just be like, hey, can you go give a 20 minute lesson? And then, you know, church is over. You're fine. It was like, please come and sit with these kids for two hours. So, I mean, you just learn to be scrappy. You just learn to pull people out of Sunday school and be like, please, can you go teach this class? Yes. <laughs> Here's the lesson. I cut out some stuff for you. Take the crayons and go. <laughs> They're yeah. waiting for you. <laughs> it's, it's a balance between doing your best and then also waiting on the bishopric and, and giving them the nudges, the annoying nudges. I'm sure they, they really hated it. But... <laughs> Yeah, and and I and it's one of those things that probably I mean you have a lot of empathy, like you mentioned earlier, but for the bishop and the bishopric, just because maybe at the same time that you're begging for a certain individual to be be moved to primary, the release side president's saying, "Don't you dare move that individual," because yeah, Yeah. (laughs) and but I think that the point here that I that I see the principle here is like just don't be afraid to like really push that discussion and have that discussion, right? Even if it keeps coming back as no, 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 or you know, hold on, we'll figure it out. Because I think the worst thing that can happen, which typically happens is, in my experience, is this passive aggressiveness that, that forms where you're not necessarily, you don't want to nag, so you just sit back, but you sort of grumble, you mm-hmm. know, on the sidelines like, oh, what's wrong with this bishopric? You know, why aren't they doing this? But to really just push to have the conversation and push, you know, on the, just like Barbara Morgan Gardner said with, you know, push on those keys and say, make mm. a decision. You are the key holder. This is my inspiration. I'm bringing it to the table. Now make a decision, right? And and keep doing that. And like you said, at the end of the day, you not it's not an ideal circumstance that you get all the people you want and everybody's happy, but you you do get some and some you have to pass on, but uh, then you, you get scrappy and, and make it work from there, right? Right. And I think I really appreciated my bishop and the counselors because they really did ask, like, what do you need? And that was another way of communicating and opening up the the channels between like, what is what is your biggest need? You've got a lot of needs, but like, what can we help you with like right now in callings and also spiritually? Because I feel like I probably I probably spiritually died for two years. It was just so much administrative stuff that all my bandwidth was going towards just making sure kids had someone to teach them you know, almost. That was that was all I was good for. It felt like. Um, well, nobody was teaching you, right? <laughs> yeah, no one's teaching me. And hopefully I feel the spirit when we sing, sing my favorite primary song or something. But they were really good at saying like, what do you need? And I know that this isn't an ideal situation like you're saying, but what, what can we do for you? And they really were open about that. And they let me let me talk. And I know it's not in every woman's nature to to be open, but if you can just get yourself past that barrier of I need to be proper, I, I can't really actually say how bad things are, like I just gotta sugarcoat everything. If you can get over that, it just opens up a world of possibilities for what what can happen, like where the spirit can be in your life and in these callings, and also just just a bond. You'll you'll feel a closer bond with those people that you're struggling with, even though you might come, you know, butt heads at, at sometimes, you end up being closer for it, I think. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this is fantastic. And I think it's such an important conversation to have 
especially I, again, I don't know what it is that there, it's always the primary and the bishopric that are that are fighting. <laughs> I'm not fighting, but you, you know what I mean. There's just this friction there that because they're they're both running very large organizations within the ward, and uh, and from that comes friction, and that's okay, right? Just right. Talk it through and address it, and and uh, share your point of view and so forth. So. Before we wrap up, I want to make sure if uh, one thing I haven't mentioned is you are on the podcast scene along with me. You've, mm. uh, you've recently started a podcast, which is phenomenal in my opinion, and uh, you, you interview some great people, but also share some insights that I think would be helpful for Latter-day Saint community. So tell us what is your podcast and what are why should people maybe tune in? So my podcast is the Learn, Live, Love Yourself podcast. And it's a podcast for Latter-day Saint women who are passionate about progress, people who love to challenge themselves and dig deep into asking questions about why do they do the things they do? Why do they think the things they think? And are they the best things to do and think? You know, what, what is the best way to move forward and to grow? That's what I love doing stuff like that. I love pushing myself just in all aspects of my life. Like right now, I'm trying to learn how to like shrimp <laughs> because okay. I realized like, why do I not like seafood? There are plenty of people out there who like seafood. It's not bad for me. In fact, it can be really good. There's no reason for me not to like this. So I'm teaching myself to like shrimp. And that's kind <laughs> of like the, the mindset behind the Learn, Live, Love Yourself podcast. Like mind over matter matters. And when we can address honestly the things that, that we're harboring, like the things we believe about ourselves and, you know, unpack some of those long-held beliefs that we are better able to open up and to serve and to reach our full potential and climb to the heights that Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother have have wanted us to to achieve in our lives. And so, yeah, that's that's my podcast. I'm always looking for more interviewers and interviewee, I guess interviewees, because I think I just love hearing people's stories and how how they've come to learn to love themselves. Yeah. And that's one thing I, I like about your podcast. It's not that th there's some, you don't just listen and think, oh, that was entertaining and interesting though it is, but there's also an application component to it, right? You leave sort of inspired to go out and try something new or, or approach life in a different way, right? Right. Yeah. Power of practice challenges at the end of every podcast episode, a pop challenge where, where I try and push people to do things that are outside their comfort zone so that show them that they're stronger than they might think or that they're capable of more. So yeah, I, I, I love it. I love interacting with people and I love I love trying to get people to do stuff they don't want to do. <laughs> awesome. Very good. And uh, obviously people can find that on probably wherever they're listening to this episode, right? Yep. Anywhere podcasts are played or at learnliveloveyourself.com. Perfect. All right. Last question I have for you, Lindsay, is why was Kurt Frankham such an awesome bishop? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Wait, I've got an answer for that. <laughs> no, no, no. no, no. Every, uh, <laughs> it's in my notes. Don't let, let my okay. secret out. Don't let my secret out. So, <laughs> uh, last question I have for you is, uh, as you look back at your time, being a young leader in the church, a young primary president, how has that made you a better follower of Jesus Christ? I would say that it has put me on a faster track to maturity, to spiritual maturity, that as I've been given leadership opportunities as a young person. It's made me confront situations where I need to feel empathy at a much greater level than I am currently capable of feeling. And that drives me to my knees. That makes me reach for the Lord in ways that I never would have otherwise because I realize I am just not capable of understanding what needs to happen here between me and this and this person I'm supposed to be serving or working with. And so I'm so grateful for being able to be a, a leader and to 
to have it humble me a bit and show me that there's a lot of spiritual maturing that I need to do. And I'm, I'm excited to rise to the occasion. And I don't know if it's appropriate, but I hope I have more leadership callings in the future because I think it's, it's an amazing growth opportunity. And I'm, I really love it. Today, I find myself in my uh, office here at home with uh, Marcy Bayless. Correct. How are you, Marcy? Great. Good. And Jacob's in the room. Say hi, Jacob. Hey. Hey, we, we heard him in the distance there. So <laughs> you're officially uh, on the podcast with us. So, uh, and you are from Bentonville, Arkansas. That's right. And what do people think of when they think of Bentonville, Arkansas? Inevitably Walmart. Walmart. Yes. They should just name the town Walmartville, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. so everybody works for Walmart there. Generally you work speaking. for Walmart or something that supports a vendor that works with Walmart. Nice. And so your husband uh, has been with Walmart for years and years? and He has. He's been with Walmart about 10 years. Nice. Cool. And you were telling me all the, the reasons why someone would want to live in Bentonville, and it sounds like a great place. It is a great place, but I don't, maybe I don't want everyone to know that because right. we like to keep the small town feel. <laughs> well, yeah, that's for sure. And then uh, you've also, a few years ago, you lived in China. That's right. And why did you go to China? We moved there for my husband's job. He was working in sourcing for electronics. And so we lived there for six years, the last of which was with Walmart. First nice. was Polaroid. Nice. Cool. And uh, we're going to discuss a little bit of your time in China and also in Bentonville because you've been in primary, uh, primary president in some capacity in both of those areas, right? That's right. So in China, you served as the district primary president, is that? Yes, I was ward primary, I mean, branch primary president and then district primary president. So where exactly in China were you? We as lived in I Shenzhen. Yeah, we okay. lived in Shenzhen. Okay. It's about, I don't know, 14 million people, but it's uh -huh. right across the border. It's in mainland China, right across the border from Hong Kong. Okay. So pretty, uh, I mean, pretty Far established uh, place. As yes. Far as and uh, I, overall, I mean, did you enjoy living in China? I we mean, loved it. Was it hard to leave? Yes, it actually wow. was very hard to leave. Interesting. And why, I mean, why is that? Well, the shopping is amazing. Really? And you always can find a great deal. And to be honest, I was a mom and there's full-time help there. They expect you to support the local economy and have a full-time helper. So huh. someone that cooked and cleaned and did your laundry, wow. that was hard to leave. Yeah, say no more. <laughs> I can... <But> <laughs> I'm going to make a note here to check out the, no, um, that that's cool. So, and then how would you describe the church where you live? Like the makeup of the church, the demographics of the church and the layout of it? Well, where we lived, you had a branch that was only made up of foreigners because China is very careful with who they allow and how they allow religion to roll out there. So they, yeah. Chinese nationals can meet together in small groups and then foreigners can meet together in small groups without mixing. So our branch was made up of foreigners that were there working. Nice. And on average, how many showed up on Sunday? When we first moved there, there was about 30 people. And when we left, there was 120. Wow. Well, you had so quite an impact. Was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting. And uh, in the district you were explaining before, is just really spread out. And so- It was the entire country of China. Um, while we wow. lived there, Shanghai was split off. So then it was the Shanghai district and then the rest of China yeah. district. And usually when, in, when the church is in those remote areas, you start to depend on the mission president, but in China, there's no missions, right? I mean, right. other than Hong Kong, I guess, but, and so that, that created some difficulty. Yes. Effectively, the district president acted as a stake president and had capacity to do all of those things. Yeah. And, and he wasn't just down the street or he can nope, just. No, he was a plane flight away. Wow. And, and not, I mean, a long plane flight, right? Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. And so, uh, but the church carried on the best it could and. and carried uh, on. Yeah. That's we cool. did a lot of things by phone. Nice. 
so being in that area as a, so you're the, essentially the state primary president, but for the Correct. district, right? So, uh, I mean, how would you describe that? What was that dynamic like? I mean, how could you even function in that when everything's so spread out? Well, when I was first called in 2005, it hadn't really, they didn't have that in existence. So they asked me to build that program and what that would look like. So I tried to base it off how the district presidency did it, mm-hmm. but we did things. I decided I needed to get to know each one of them, but I couldn't fly around to Beijing and all the other places in Guangzhou. So I, we did things by phone. So I would do a monthly interview, personal interview with each of them. And then we get together and do a conference call mm. because it was important for them, especially when you're that spread out. A lot of people did church in their homes or in very small branches. So it was important for them to feel connected Mm. And to know that they weren't alone. Yeah. And were these typically, uh, I mean, were they Chinese people that, that these you were, were all with? foreigners? Okay. So it all, the foreign segment and the Chinese national mm. function completely separate. Yeah. So everything that I'm going to be talking about only has to do with expats, foreigners living in China. Wow. Interesting. So you, you do, you're on the phone a lot, just connecting with other yes. primary presidents of branches. Correct. And, and then one of the branches we, and whenever there was, if there was a critical mass, they had a branch. And if there wasn't, then anybody else that were just one or two families in rural parts of China, they made up what was called the China International Branch. Mm. And they just would hold sacrament in their homes. And then they did call the primary president over that. And she just did a newsletter to connect the primary kids with each other because they mostly only saw their siblings. And so that way she could highlight different ones and did things through a newsletter or they would occasionally get together by video conference call and maybe sing a song. Yeah. So that was an interesting. So, I mean, it, it, as you kind of juxtapose it to your experience as a state uh, primary president in the United States, where maybe you can be a Sunday can be full of meetings and, you know, traveling different places were there. Did you feel like your, your Sundays were pretty light compared to the, the typical primary president uh, experience? Definitely. Yes. Yeah. Sundays were light. It was phone calls during the week. And then getting materials. Everyone was kind of in charge of getting their own materials. Like manuals and stuff. Right. Okay. <laughs> and, and so you just, were you in charge of like mailing them out or? No, you couldn't mail things out with China. You're only allowed to bring in what you use for your personal use. So it was just maybe sharing materials or connecting them, how to get find online. Mm-hmm. And now I would yes. imagine, I mean, now they have I'm the sure apps. It's and, much easier. Yeah. yeah. So they can if just, we were just trans, things were just starting to really click online back then. So wow. I'm sure it's much easier now. Wow. What an experience. Uh, anything else that, you know, just generally speaking of that experience of being a primary president in a foreign land like that, that I think even though it was only by phone, it was people still felt very connected because you did, you could feel isolated in that way, but we really relied on experience that we had brought with us because you were mm-hmm. making it out of nothing, but it was, you still, even though, even though you're so spread out and far apart, you could still feel connected, even though I never met in person, some of the women. Wow. So. Wow. And, uh, and I, did you feel like you get discouraged at time? Cause you like, you want to have an impact, but there's so many restraints on your ability to do that because of the distance and how to connect with people. Did you get discouraged? Like, man, I feel like I'm not doing much for me since I, that was the first year that it was functioning. Everyone was just so relieved to have anybody to ask questions to and talk with that we didn't feel discouraged at all. We were just felt like finally there's people that understand me. There's a team. Yeah. So I didn't have that at all. Everyone was very appreciative. That's good. That's good. So comparing that to, so going to Bentonville, Arkansas, how would you describe the the layout of your stake and uh, that experience, the demographic there? 
In Bentonville, of course, it's much closer that the steak there you can, you know, get from one end to the other in an hour. And the wards are bulging at the seams. They're we're splitting steaks and wards seems every few years. Yeah. So it's just keeping up with growth even is hard. Yeah. And it's not enough room, not enough primary rooms in the building to hold enough to have the classes. Nice. So <laughs> I, I would imagine like your state presidency sort of uh scrambling at times to maybe split wards or or align things that way. And then you're yes. helping settle the primaries into to a stage where they can function effectively. Correct. Getting keeping primary staffed was as is a constant conversation. Yes. Awesome. Well, interesting. Well, you uh, noted a few principles that we're going to jump into and and obviously you'll probably maybe jump back and forth from your experience in China and in Arkansas. But the first principle you noted is as far as personal relationship and really focusing on, and this is from a stake primary president level, like focusing on that personal relationship with between you and the ward primary presidents. I felt that was a major important thing was that I needed to make sure I had a personal relationship with each ward primary president so that they would know that they are known and loved ministering, you could call it. And any interaction I had with them followed the principle of thank, teach, testify, and invite. Hmm. And so what does that mean? Like, how was the application of that? Um, if you, if you cover each of those things, then you're ministering the way the savior did. Hmm. You're showing gratitude. You're appreciating what they do. You thank them for something. You teach a principle because when doctrine is taught, the spirit can be present and you testify that testifying of those principles is what ratifies things in their heart and then invite because we can have all the knowledge in the world, but if we don't invite, there's no movement. That's where the action comes in. Okay. So this was was the focus of our stake and was very applicable. So that, primary. that was a general focus for the stake and you were applying it in your realm. Yes. Right? So what were those again? Thank, Thank, teach, teach, testify and invite. Nice. And so you, when you went to a ward and, and, and are wanting to connect with that ward primary president, you would default to some of these as, as sort of a model to help you get there to, to connection. Yes. If I felt like an interaction was not as productive as I felt or just seemed surface. If I went back and looked, I realized maybe one of those components were missing, hmm. that that's where the real meat and potatoes and the spirit was driven. And, and that if you cover those things, then you're truly ministering the way the savior does. They feel uplifted. You feel uplifted. They feel encouraged and empowered to go and do. And then also you're modeling that for them. And then you're hoping that they take those same skills and do the same with the ward yeah. members that they interact with. Yeah. So what does the application that look like week to week as far as you, uh, honest, would you rotate what ward you'd go to as a presidency? And then once you were there, what did you do in order to establish that personal relationship? We use different models. We, we switched it up. Sometimes we decided that we would, um, each presidency member would take three wards at a time and just kind of have stewardship over those three wards and visit. You would attend um, a ward council once a quarter, make sure you went to one of their meetings once a quarter. I think the biggest impact and the biggest difference though was attending presidency meetings. When I was first called, I was thinking, how do I really understand what's going on? And I decided sitting in the back of the room of the primary room 
you really don't get an understanding of what's happening. Yeah. And I would imagine that the, at least from my experience, when I think of a primary presidency visiting a ward, they're generally, they're present, they're in the back, but you know, they're encouraging and thanking everybody, but maybe there's more to it. There's some, that had a lot been more my steps. experience in the past. And when I was called, I thought that I, I realized I wasn't getting enough information. So the first thing we did was to go to their presidency meetings. Mm -hmm. And that is where you really get to know them and really find out what's happening in their um, ward. And I can't tell you the number of times people would say, no, I don't have any questions. And then when they're at their presence meeting, they're like, oh, we're so glad you're here. Yeah. This is what we're working on. What do you think? You know, yeah, that's great is this okay? Is that okay? Yeah, I can see like you've, you're visiting a ward and you walk up to the primary presidency after and you're saying, hey, yeah. you know, what What questions can I answer? And there's maybe just not in that mental no. mode. And so they don't know. But in the presidency meeting, they get there quick. So yes. I want to ask you more about presidency meetings. But as far as establishing a relationship, like did you have a lot of one-to-one -one meetings with uh, pregnancy, meet, uh, pregnancy members of, of the wards or? Yeah, well, I, we would just try and um, with the primary president to have a one-on-one -on -one okay. with the primary president and then um, visit their presidency meetings. And those, did your counselors the, help you with those? Yes. One -to -one? Okay. And how often was that like a routine that you did? Or? We, yes, we would try and do that and make those contacts quarterly. But then after a while, I noticed as the president, sometimes the... It, when we had the model set up where we each had stewardship over maybe three wards, sometimes I just felt out of touch with the other wards. So mm -hmm. we would change it up. And sometimes I would say, okay, I'll meet with the presidents. You meet, meet with the counselors. So sometimes I just needed to review and just meet one-on-one -on -one with all of them. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you went to a ward, you were typically taking time to meet. Uh, I didn't do it on Sundays. No primary oh, okay. is crazy on Sundays. They are using every ounce of energy just to keep that Sunday going. Yeah. <laughs> it would always be during the week, whenever it was convenient for them. Nice. And it's not, you said it takes about an hour to drive across your stake. So most of the wards were close, Okay, but there was one that was an hour away. So you could do a Wednesday Easily. quick meeting. Easily. And, and, and even if people are spaced out, even doing a phone call, you know, during the week right. apart from the the crazy Sunday right. experience. Right. Awesome. Love that. So, um, you had one-to-ones, but also the pregnancy meeting. So how did you, how do you go to a pregnancy meeting and not feel like, okay, the principal's here. Like we gotta, let's like, and sort of suck the That's auction. That's how it was the at the very beginning. But then when you went regularly, then they were, then you had a personal connection. And then they, they also knew that I wasn't there to tell them what to do. Mm -hmm. I was just there as a resource and a sounding board and, and, there to help. And yeah. they, they loved it. And then, but then I noticed that as I was gathering information, I would see things in one ward that, that other wards had sorted out. And so then I was trying to figure out my next question was I was the middleman and I was thinking maybe I could gather information and disseminate it back to them. How can we do this? And my sister told me that, um, she had done this in her ward with relief society presidents in her stake. And so I, initiated it in my stake. And it's where we held a quarterly primary president's council. That's what mm. we ended up calling it. And it's where the primary presidents could get together and talk between themselves. And it wow. was hard not to have it be us giving information that we'd received at state council. I strictly kept it maybe uh, yeah, five yeah. minutes of that, but like, no, we can do that by email. This was a time for them to come ask each other questions and figure out how they could support each other. And yeah. it could not be a complaining session. Uh -huh. It couldn't be all the problems. Yeah, keep it you positive, can. right? Yeah. Uh -huh. I mean, bring the problems, but yeah, yeah. with an attitude of, has anyone dealt with this before and how do we work through it? Yeah. And I love you that you clarify, you're very specific that um, 
that you don't dominate that meeting as a stake primary mm-hmm. president. Cause I remember as a, in a stake presidency, that's a temptation. We have all the bishops in a room. We can finally just talk about these things and then move on. But, uh, to keep that, you know, the, the information download to the email, right. And, yes. and get them the information, they'll get it. But when they're all together, it's such a beneficial experience for them to be able to talk amongst themselves and, and with your counselors as well. Right. And, and you, and just hear what they're dealing with. Just like it's a teacher council model, right. Where, I don't yeah, know. we started it before the teacher council That's model. Awesome. And then when they did mm-hmm. the deal, we're like, yes, we're on the right track. <laughs> and the state president liked it so much. He has all the auxiliaries do yeah. it now. But they, at first I was very, I would check in with them. Is this still okay? Is this worth your time? And, and I first said, it's, it's optional. Mm-hmm. If you want to come, come. Oh, if you that. don't, because I did not want to have a man, another mandatory meeting they needed to attend. Yeah. But it came where they looked forward to it and they would say, oh, I missed it. Please. Can you send notes? Because it was for them. And it got their needs filled. Yeah. I love that, that. If you ever wonder how good your meeting is, just say these meetings are optional. <laughs> and then if nobody comes, you know, you don't run a very good meeting. Right. Because I would imagine after some time, they think this is really valuable. I want to be there. Yes. Right. And then uh, they're more likely to show up. That's awesome. So the uh, primary president's, president's council. council. Awesome. This is, you know, get everybody in the room and just let them talk. Right. And we were careful because it's not in the hammock and you don't want to add extra. That was right, the thing. Right. I never wanted to add extra for them. I only wanted to do what was helpful to them, but that's, I saw that need and thought, well, let's pitch it as well as, and then now they love it. And so then I realized then that's worth it. If it's worth their time. Yeah. Yeah, for it. sure. And that segues easy into our next principle is you never wanted people to, to, you never wanted a ward primary president to say, well, the stake primary president said, Dot, 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 we right? Have to we have to do this or we have to <laughs> do it that right. way. Right. And and I hear this a lot that I forget what it was. Uh, uh, one primary president was just telling me like the, these mandates that came down from the stake primary president. And mm-hmm. I get it. Maybe there's some things that that's necessary, but that really diminishes the autonomy that they feel. And that's going to diminish their engagement. Right. And so uh, take us down the, the, ba- the path of this principle. Yes. Here. Uh, well, my stake president at the time, President Keogh, he said it just irks me, not irks, but he said, oh, it makes me sound when people say the stake said, because he said the people are the stake. Uh-huh. So we want them to feel that it's, it's their stake and we're here to serve. And so that's kind of where I got that of, I want them to know that I don't want them to think that it's a top down institution, that my job as stake primary president is to support them. Now there are some things, the, another flip side is you are representing the stake president. So if there are things that the stake president through his key holding mm-hmm. powers have to pass down, then that is my responsibility to represent him mm-hmm. and to share that information. So there is some information going both ways, yeah. but to make sure that it was strictly that and not create anything extra. And then the rest of it was just supporting them in what they needed. I wanted them to come up with creatively solve, empower them to creatively solve what they saw needs they had, and then make sure that that it fell within the bounds of policy and say, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. This is so powerful. And and any stake auxiliaries can get their organizations can get kind of strange because I remember going from Bishop to in the stake presidency, I sort of felt like, well, I'm a super Bishop and that means I need to be a, a super Bishop to everybody. And then you're sort of uh, you step on some toes of the bishops or, or they kind of default, you know, they shrink because they think, oh, well, the stake presidency is just going to set the vision and the tone. But I always see it that the stake organization, the stake leadership, your role is to mentor the ward leaders and to help them de- develop the vision, help them to, to develop the tone of, 
of their organizations, right? Yes. And even from year to year, if we held a statewide activity because we felt it could best be held on a stake level Mm -hmm. and connect kids that they wouldn't be able to get an award level, even from year to year, I would always stop and say, now, is this worth doing again? Why are we doing it? What's the why behind it? Is, does the benefit still exist? Do the, do the pros still outweigh the cons? Is this something that's best handled on award level or a stake level? And I always try to keep it at the board level as much as possible. Yeah. So how, how did you go? Like, what did the application look there? Did you just tell the word primary presence? Listen, I never want you to say, you know, the state primary presence said this. No, and so I, don't think I said that. I mean, <laughs> how do you establish? Cause that really is a cultural thing, right? That you're establishing. So how do you begin to establish that? Well, a lot of times they come looking to you saying, what are we supposed to do here? How are we supposed to do this for baptism? What's our policy? And I would say, what do you think? Mm-hmm. And I would just ask some questions, put it back in their court. Mm, yeah. And the more you do that, the more they realize, well, if I go ask her, she's just going to say, what do you think? So maybe I should go to her. Th- we think this, what do you think? You know, and, <laughs> and, and you may give them a thumbs up and away they mm-hmm. go. Right. Awesome. Uh, the next principle you said, uh, it's easy in the primary to make it about the kids. I mean, the primary is the kids organization, right. right? But you, you say it's not about the kids. Well, when I served as a board primary president before state primary president, I realized you originally, when you get that calling, you think, oh, it's all these kids and I need to meet all the kids and minister and love on all these kids. And then I realized the only personal interaction I had with the kids was 10 minutes during sharing time, uh-huh. which now is non-existent yeah, yeah. for the primary presence. Now it's like 20 it's only, it's minutes music, singing time, which, right? And which I loved. And I always wanted to make sure music people got their time yeah, because that's what you remember from primary. Yeah. But I realized all the interaction was actually with adults. And so that's, we talked a lot about that toward primary presidents that your ministering and your your stewardship is over all of the adults. It's the largest staffed organization in the mm-hmm. church, in a ward in a unit, ward, yeah. in a ward unit. And you have a lot, it's those teachers and those leaders that are interacting personally with the children. And you don't have time, just like a bishop doesn't have time to personally minister to every single person in his ward, although he does through interviews, but a primary president cannot give all that every primary child needs by herself. Yeah. It's really the teachers and that's how Christ did it with the, you know, apostles. So you minister to those teachers and you minister to the teachers in a way that you want them to minister to the children. And they're the ones that are having weekly interaction with those children that should be going into their homes, having those. Yeah. If you were to ask me who the primary president was when I was a young boy, I I'd have to really strain to think, but I could, I could rattle off my teachers easy. You know, right. absolutely. And so that's kind of a shift though, when you get called as primary president yeah. to think really your stewardship is for the adults in the yeah. primary unit. Yeah. Sort of a microcosm of just what I talked about with the stake and wards where you're called as a stake president and you think, oh, this is great. All these people I can minister to, but no, you are ministering to the bishops and to the Relief Society or whatever it is, right? The, the leadership, right? Mm-hmm. And same with that. And I would imagine in the primary, like when somebody gets called to the primary, it can sort of feel like, I, I'm sort of babysitting, you know, I'm the a primary teacher. And, oh, and so me crazy right? when people say that. Right. And, and even if they don't <laughs> say that, it can sort of feel that way at times. And so a, the primary presidency can really help shift that mentality yes. of saying, you know, you're, yes. we want you here. And in fact, I'm going to minister to you. Like this is going to be such a fulfilling experience. Tom, this right? is the place to be. This right. is the habit in place. This is the class that when you give, they absolutely give back. You tell me any other organization that happens in youth, adults, no, yeah. kids, they yeah. give it all back. Right, right. Like, this is where you want to be. 
Yeah. Now, of course, people listening to this is not, you're also not saying I, I didn't even care about the kids. Right. I mean, of course right. it is about the kids, it but, is about the kids. but, uh, but how do you, yes. how do you best minister to the children is make sure that their teacher has a personal relationship with them and cares about them and is ministering on a personal weekly level with yeah. them. Yeah. And if you can outside I mean, of the two hour block. Yeah, and going back to the teachers that I probably tortured as a young boy, I mean, it can be a very frustrating experience for some of them that ah, I I don't I can't control this class. I don't know what to do. And if they have a primary president that's present with them and offering counsel and perspective and encouragement, and then they say, okay, I, I'm ready to go back out there and give it my best, right? And so that relationship's crucial, it sounds like. And helping them see that their calling as a primary teacher is so much more than just 45 minutes on a Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And so what, how would you, what else is it? I mean, how would you articulate that? It's letting them know that you are the one church leader that has direct stewardship over that child and their development outs as a support to their parent. The right, parent right. is the first, sure. but then when they turn to the church scaffolding for support, that's their primary teacher. And so they are the one, I think it's the small things that they do. It's the letters they send, the birthday treat they drop off, the mm-hmm. home visit. When we talk about visits, home visits, it applies to primary as well. And the teacher is the one that should be visiting in the home and creating that relationship with the parent. Because have we all heard primary teachers talk about the one kid and, uh, and, yeah. and so that relationship with the parent will help them both communicate and know how best to help that child during that class. Yeah. Yeah. This is, and to me, so as, much richer. Yeah, for sure. And it, it's relieving a little bit to, because you can walk in, especially, I mean, you go out to Harriman, Utah or Riverton or, or Daybreak, and these primaries are like huge, right? And it can be so overwhelming as a primary presence to think, oh, like all these children under my stewardship. No, mm-hmm. if you, if you restructure that, say, actually, it's the teachers that are, I'm going to focus right. on the teachers. And that's like, oh, that's doable. I can do that. You know, I'm that it refocuses things and and brings energy to that calling. And so. if the teacher only thinks I have to keep these kids quiet for 40 minutes so I can yeah. teach this lesson, that's not going to work. If they have a personal relationship with those kids, that rapport, once they walk in the door, they have that rapport. Yeah. And it makes me think of uh, my wife has been in primary in a few wards and my sister-in-law as well. And there's sort of this dynamic where I remember my uh, one sister-in-law said, like, I kind of felt like, like there was this uh, child that was sort of acting up in, in primary and, and I had the situation in control, but then the primary presidency came, you know, someone from the primary presidency came and like took the child out of the room. And I felt like, ah, like, Hey, give me a chance here to work with this child and connect with them. And I'll handle it. I get that. It's maybe in the moment, it's a bit distracting and loud or whatever, but mm-hmm. just sort of backing off and saying, you know, I'm going to empower that teacher to handle that situation, even though it's really distracting right now. Well, I have one kid that was very disruptive as a primary child. And my mom, of course, loved him because it was her grandson. But (laughs) she, when she was, then she was a primary teacher a few years ago, and she had a difficult boy in her class. And Mm -hmm. she said, I thought of your child, Marcy. I thought of my grandson. And I thought, and she says, but I was working on building this thing. So she says, I had to have a conversation with the primary presidency and say, let me deal with him in sharing time. I know you might see him on the floor or you might see him doing something, but we've got something going. So just let me do that. Yeah. And they were like, oh, hey, great. She's going to worry about that. Because at first glance, it may seem that he's being a little rowdy, but yeah. she had a plan. And when they empowered her to work on it, it she grew to love him so much that they still, they had a fabulous relationship. Right. And some of those dynamics and situations can be, when you give them space to talk about, like when you're 
as a primary presidency, trying to connect with the teachers. Maybe you're meeting with them more regularly and they can share that. Like, Hey, let's talk about Jimmy, you know, any, what do you think about, you know, how Jimmy's you know, acting up in this, you know, what should we do about it? How can we support you, you know, as the teacher to do that? And then you, you talk about it rather than just saying, uh, everybody assuming, well, we're just babysitting this this, right. this time. And, and so. Anyways. And something that comes up with kids a lot is behavior. Yeah. And so we, we taught a lot about there's a difference between reverence and being quiet yeah. because a lot of times people just say, oh, everyone just be reverent, but really they should be saying, <laughs> we just want you to be quiet Yeah. <laughs> because there's a difference and we cannot force reverence. And sometimes reverent means being singing and yeah. being loud and yeah. answering questions and speaking out loud. So the wiggle songs are still reverent. That's right? reverent. That's reverent. So <laughs> yeah, we're going for cool. reverence, not quiet. Awesome. What else? Anything we haven't covered that you'd want to make sure we fit in here before we wrap it up? Um, one last thing about leadership, I would say for stake primary president would be to remember that you are one of three women in state council. Mm. And so you're not just representing primary. You're also representing you as a, ah, a yeah. an individual, as a mother, but also just all the women. And that's something that I didn't realize until I was, I, I was being released from being the state prime president for seven years mm -hmm. was I didn't realize the platform I had to represent all of women. I just kept thinking, Oh, that's the state primary. That's the state relief society right, president's right, yeah. job. And then I realized, yeah, but how many, she has all the women in her stewardship. Maybe there's other viewpoints and things that she, I mean, I spoke as an individual, but I also realized you're also representing all of the women as yeah. a whole. Yeah. And that that's important. There's only three of you. And yeah, you might be the primary president, but you're also just representing women in general. In awesome. the stake. I love sure that. that their viewpoints and their feelings and their, their understanding is being heard. Yeah. I love that. Perfect. Perfect point to, to wrap up with. So last question I have is as you think back of your time, both in China and in Arkansas, where you had this opportunity to, to uh, serve children and lead children, how has being a primary president or leader made you a better follower of Jesus Christ? Wow. I would say that being a leader is a follower. When you're trying to be a leader in the Church of Jesus Christ, you're trying to figure out how to follow Christ. Look at what He did, follow Him, follow the way He led, which was serving and ministering. That concludes my interview with uh, Lindsay and Marcy. Shout out to them for giving me the opportunity to, to pick their brain, their primary president brain, and and uh, some fantastic perspectives. Am I right? Isn't it awesome? I hope that inspires you to uh, consider those things. Maybe you'll put it into action in your own world or maybe not. I don't know, but definitely unique perspectives to think about. Now, I want to know what calling do we need to cover in the How I Lead segment? We've done a lot of bishops. We've done a good handful of Relief Society presidents, uh, young women's presidents, there, there, but there's so many more. Actually, uh, the day of recording this, uh, this little uh, conclusion thing here, I interviewed a high counselor and uh, it was a phenomenal interview about how I lead as a high counselor. And so if you know a rockstar high counselor, I'd love to interview them as well. I'm also looking for international leaders because I have a great episode with a, a branch president in Malaysia that I need to pair it up with another international leader. So I want to know where these great leaders are that I should sit down with through the powers of the internet or in person and interview them. So go to leadingsaints.org slash contact, send me a message, let me know who we should reach out to to include on the How I Lead segment of the Leading Saints podcast. 
And don't forget about the Meetings with Saints Virtual Summit on March 17th. Register for free by texting the word LEAD to 474747. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.